ready to go. We are focusing today on the judgment day. Judgment day. We're going to see what Daniel has to say combined with what Jesus has to say. So the two passages to begin with this morning, Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, and then John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. So Daniel 12, verses 2 and 3, and Jesus' words in John 5, 28 and 29. So Daniel says, prophesies all the way up to judgment day, He said, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to to shame and everlasting contempt. contempt. And Jesus says something similar in John 5, 28 and 29. And he says, marvel not at this, the time is coming when all who are in the tombs shall hear my voice and shall come forth. They that have done good to a resurrection of life, they that have done evil to a resurrection of condemnation or judgment. And so we're going to notice seven important ideas from these passages, with the biggest idea, of course, being focusing on the final judgment day of God. But be thinking about Daniel and Jesus together, and let's get started. First of all, notice a wonderful combination here between Daniel and Jesus, a wonderful uh, combination. Daniel prophesied about five centuries before Jesus And he was prophesying from from Babylonian captivity. As a young boy, he was taken away into captivity, away from his homeland. But God used him greatly there uh, in that foreign land. And Daniel talked a lot about a lot of important matters, especially the Christ. Especially the Christ. For example, as you read through Daniel chapter 2, you find out that Daniel prophesied about the fall of Babylon and the rise of some other empires, like the Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire, and finally, even the Roman Empire during the days of Jesus. And he says in Daniel 2 and verse 44 that in the days of these kings, the Roman Empire, God will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And Jesus picks up on this very ideal in Matthew 16, when he asked his disciples, beginning in verse 13, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, uh, is? Who am I? Who do they say? Some say, well, you're one of the prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah, Elijah, or one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to Peter, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. I say unto you, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And notice this, and the gates of Hades will never prevail against it. 
So notice there a wonderful combination between Daniel and Jesus. And so Jesus does the same thing here with Daniel 12. When Jesus decides to talk about the judgment day, he brings us some words that are very similar to Daniel 12. When he says, all that are in the tomb shall hear my voice, shall come forth. They that have done good to a resurrection of life. They that have done evil to a resurrection of condemnation. There's an important little statement in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10, where it says, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 10, where it says that Jesus abolished death and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Hang on to that for just a second. Life and immortality, are that, that sums up all the blessings of being able to go home with God in heaven. But think about that. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, in Old Testament times, like in Daniel, as Daniel is talking about this kingdom that would be set up and, ne and never be destroyed, you know, that's kind of an abbreviated sort of statement about the kingdom. But then Jesus comes along and, and gives that statement full bloom. And we get into the New Testament, we see a lot more about that kingdom. We see a lot more about the church that God has in mind. And that's what Paul meant there in, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 10, that things that were abbreviated before now seen in full bloom today through the gospel. Through the, uh, they're brought to light through the gospel. And the same thing here with the judgment day in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel speaks of a time when many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame. And Jesus picks up on that and we find out a lot more about judgment day in the New Testament. You see, what was once obscure in the Old Testament now has come into full light and full, full bloom here in the New Testament. We have, behind our house at home, we have quite a, bit, quite a few uh, foxes around, and you can see them at night. You can open up your back door, and you can, you can see one or two darting here and there. But when you turn on the floodlight, you can really see them. And that's kind of how it is with the Old Testament and New Testament. What is presented to us in kind of an abbreviated form in the Old Testament becomes to, to great light. You can see it in much fuller bloom in the New Testament. And Jesus combines some statements with Daniel and brings to us the message about the Judgment Day. So I just wanted to mention to you here what a wonderful combination here between Daniel and Jesus. How thankful we are that the New Testament brings to light so many things that we need to understand. I don't know about you, but part of my Thanksgiving list every time I pray to God is I'm thankful for the scriptures. I'm thankful that the gospel is here, that it sheds light on all the things that we need to know. Secondly, this morning, we need to understand that Jesus will be in charge of Judgment Day. Jesus will be in charge of Judgment Day. Okay. Judgment Day is often called the Day of the Lord. For example, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2, the Day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It is His day. 
It is his day. Jesus himself says in, in John 12, 48, he that rejects me and receives not my sayings has one who judges him. The word that I have spoken unto you, the same will judge you in the last day. This is, this is Jesus' day. He's in charge of this most important day in the world. Jesus is in charge of it. Think about this with me for just a minute or two. Think about some words that start with an A. For example, it has, it has been appointed for Jesus to be in charge of judgment, judgment Day. You read about that in Acts 17, 31, where it says that, that God will judge the world in righteousness, but he'll do it by that man whom he has ordained or whom he has appointed. And he's given assurance through this man in that he has raised him from the dead. So God has appointed Jesus whom he raised from the dead to be in charge of judgment day. Running back over to John chapter 5 and, and verse 27, John 5, 27, Jesus himself says that the Father has given authority to the Son to execute judgment. So think first of all about the word appointed. God has appointed Jesus to be in charge. And then notice there in John 5, 27 that the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. And then we read in Hebrews 5 verses 8 and 9 that Jesus is the author, the author of eternal salvation. He's going to be in charge of judgment day. The Hebrews 5, 8 and 9 says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect, he became the author of of eternal salvation to all those who obey him, who obey him. We'll be making this point uh, again, I'm sure, but uh, this promise of eternal life is given to those who obey him, who submit uh, to him. Jesus is to be in charge. We read in Revelation 1, 17 and 18 that he himself has the keys of death and Hades. And only Jesus has those keys. So therefore, he is in charge of Judgment Day. You know, when we get there on Judgment Day, there'll be, there'll be no disputing. Whatever judgment is handed out to us, that will be final. Have you ever known someone, maybe you've known several individuals, they feel like they can talk themselves out of anything. Just given enough time, they can talk themselves out of any situation. It don't happen like that on the judgment day. Here's what Paul says in Romans 14, verse 11. He said, there at the judgment day, everybody's knees will bow and everybody will confess that Jesus is Lord. There'll be no disputings. There'll be no arguments. Everybody will see for themselves who is in charge and that that judgment given to them will be exactly what they have earned for themselves. It would seem that since Jesus is in charge of what clearly is for us right now, is the most important day in our lives. 
Judgment Day is the most important in our lives, and Jesus is in charge of that day, then it would seem that we would want to surely make him our Lord right now. The third thing that we need to say about the Judgment Day today is it's going to be an incredible gathering there. What an incredible gathering it's going to be. A gathering like we've never, ever seen uh, before. Going back to Daniel 12, Daniel uses the word many. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth. The word many there just means everybody. It's often used like that in scripture. It just means everybody. Uh, for example, Jesus used it this way. Matthew 26 and 28. Matthew 26, 28. When Jesus was speaking of the Lord's Supper, he said, this is, speaking of the fruit of the vine, he said, this is, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Okay. We know very well that Jesus shed his blood for everybody. Okay. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 and 6, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. For all. Hebrews 2.9 says that Jesus tasted death for every man. So when Daniel says, many that sleep in the dust of the earth shall come forth, then shall be awakened, we know it means everybody. It will be a tremendous gathering there. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 25, Jesus speaking of Judgment Day, Matthew 25, 31 and 32, it says there, that all the nations will be gathered before him. Can you imagine that? All the nations will be gathered there before him. Everyone who has ever lived will be gathered there before Jesus. Everyone who is living at the time that Jesus comes again will be gathered there before him. All the nations will be gathered there before him. Going back to Acts 17, 30 and 31. He will judge the world. He will judge the world, the whole world, uh, in righteousness. And again, going back to John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus himself says, All that are in the tomb shall hear my voice and shall come forth. What a gathering it will be. Of such we have never even seen or even thought about this gathering at the throne of God for judgment. We've heard of a, a million man march. We've heard of a million mom march. We've seen tremendous gatherings at ball games and concerts, but we haven't seen that. That's just child's play compared to what this will be. Everybody will stand before the Lord. We need to make that as real as we can. Every president, every president, every ruler who has ever ruled will stand before the Lord and receive judgment based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every coach, every lawyer, every doctor, every rich person, every poor person, every family person, everyone who's ever lived and who is now living will stand before the Lord and be judged based on righteousness of the gospel. In Romans 2, Paul speaks of the judgment of God from about verses 6 to 16. Right there in the middle, 
Romans 2, verse 11, he says, there is no partiality with God. There's no respect of persons with God. All will be judged according to my gospel, Romans 2, 16. So put that together. Romans 2, 11, no partiality. Romans 2, 16, Paul said, according to, according to the gospel. According, as Jesus said, my word will judge them. That includes everyone. Sometimes in our minds, maybe not in our minds, but in the minds of people that we hear talking, it seems that some conclude that there are some prominent people on earth that somehow are going to be excluded, somehow have no responsibility to Jesus because they're so prominent. But that, that is so false. What did Paul do when he stood before Felix, the ruler? He presented him the gospel. What did Paul do when he stood before Agrippa, the ruler? He presented him the gospel. Why? Because Felix and Agrippa will be there before Christ on Judgment Day, as will everyone who's ever lived, no matter what station or power they had in life. What a gathering uh, this will be. Number four, on that Judgment Day, there will be the resurrection of the dead. This is feature number four, the resurrection of the dead. Daniel mentions this, Daniel 12, verse 2 and 3, when he said, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, sleep in the dust of the earth, you know what he means here. Sleep has reference to the sleep of death. Sleep of death. And we, of course, won't take time to go through it, but if you were to look up in the New Testament, you'd find the word sleep used 18 times, and 14 of those 18 times it refers to death. Okay. Death is often called a sleep because the deceased body looks like they're sleeping. Oh, we knew that as kids. Didn't you used to play death when you were, when you were kids? Oh, we did in, in our neighborhoods. Somebody would pretend like they were dead. And the others of us would pretend like we were we were uh, fixing them up, fixing them up to, to bury them. Okay. So if you didn't play that as a child, you missed out a whole lot. Daniel says, many who sleep in the dust of the earth, why the dust of the earth? Because that's the physical curse that God placed upon man because of sin. You know this. And at death, as we read in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, at death, Ecclesiastes 12, 7 says, the dust shall return to the earth from whence it came, and the spirit shall return from God, return to God who gave it. Let me read this to you from Genesis 3, 19, as God is reacting to sin coming into the world. Genesis 3, 19, he says to Adam, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust shall you return. So we know exactly what Daniel was saying in Daniel 12. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. They shall be woke up. 
there shall be an awakening. And Christ is going to be the cause of that. As we read from his words in John 5, all that are in the tomb shall hear my voice and shall come forth. They shall come out of those tombs. Resurrection. I think it's summed up really well for us here as we try to just cut to the chase. John 11, verse 11, as Jesus is getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead, he said to his disciples, he said, my friend Lazarus is asleep and I am going to wake him up. John 11, verse 11. Now, that's what Jesus is going to do on a very, very much bigger stage on Judgment Day. Now he went, Lazarus was asleep, Lazarus was dead. He'd been in that tomb how many days? Four. And Jesus woke him up. So it is on Judgment Day. Many will be asleep in the dust of the earth and shall come forth. Shall come forth. You know, the voice of Jesus is so important here. So important. You recall in John 11 as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. John 11:43 When he had said these things he cried out with a loud voice Lazarus come forth. Lazarus came forth because of the voice of Jesus. All right? Jesus also raised another man from the dead, found in Luke 7. This is the son of a widow, the widow from Nain, you remember that? In Luke 7, verses 14 and 15. Notice, as he had compassion on the lady who had lost her son, verse 14, he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Verse 15, and the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Can you imagine a greater gift? There is a greater gift, but that was pretty special on that occasion. The voice of Jesus is pretty huge here. And so go back to John 5 for a second, where Jesus says, all that are in the tomb shall hear what? Shall hear my voice and shall come out. We're not surprised by this because it was by the voice of Jesus that this whole entire universe came into being. He spoke and it was done. And so he can speak and do anything. Now, it comes down to whether we believe. When Jesus was speaking to Martha before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he asked her that very question. Martha, do you believe? Do you believe? Picking up in John 11, 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the, in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? And she said, now what are you going to say? But she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. But what do you say? What do you say? Do you believe in all of this that we're talking about? Do you believe in it? Now be careful about your answer. Now Martha didn't hesitate. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Son of God coming into the world. But do you, do I believe? Do I believe? Be careful because if you say you believe this, then you also have to say you believe that God can fulfill any promise whatsoever. Even, even those that concern your life right now, even all the concerns you have right now should not be concerns because you believe in God. You say you believe in God. Do you believe in God? Do you believe it when Jesus says in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the things that we worry about every day, they will be added to you. I wonder, does this church as a whole believe that? If we have a failure, it's a failure in belief. Do you believe? Is there any reason not to believe? It's the reason I keep preaching. That's the only reason I keep preaching. But I'm thinking, if this, then that. If God can do this and bring the world into existence, if God can do this and bring people back from the dead, then surely he can use some low-life, podunk, pitiful preacher like me and do some good somewhere. Do you believe it's a question Jesus asked us and Martha about all of this. Next part, next feature is the great separation at the judgment day. Obviously from Daniel and Jesus, Daniel 12 and John 5, there's going to be a great separation. Separating the good and the evil. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and contempt, Daniel says in Daniel 12. Or Jesus says it like this in Matthew 25, 31 to 33, he will divide the sheep from the goats. The sheep on his right hand, the goats on his, on his left hand. It's just going to be a great division. The division between the, the doers and the talkers, a division between those who obey, who don't obey, those who love, who do not love. It's going to be a great division on that day. This division, separation, ought to motivate us to be what we ought to be. This resurrection day ought to be right in the middle of what motivates us to do and be who we are. Jesus used it this way. We read in Matthew eleven twenty to 24, Jesus looked to the city of Bethsaida and Chorazin. He said, Bethsaida and Chorazin, if the mighty works had been done and you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in, in sackcloth and ashes. By saying to you, it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than you because you have not repented. He said, you, Capernaum, city of Capernaum, if the mighty works have been done in you, Jesus have been in Capernaum, in other words. 
He had been in Bethsaida and Chorazin. If the mighty works had been, that were done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, then they would still be remaining today. And yet it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than you there in Capernaum. You think Jesus wants us to be motivated by the judgment day? Jump over to Matthew 12, 42 and 43. Jesus said, The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment and condemn this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. He says, The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment day and condemn this generation because the queen of the south traveled from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. It would behoove us also to think about this great day of separation and be motivated, be moved to submit ourselves to our God. Here at the Judgment Day, feature number six is the beginnings of heaven. To me, it's heaven itself. When God says, there, you can come now to a resurrection of life, or as Daniel puts it, some to everlasting life, that is heaven. That's all I need to know. You don't have to sing to me about anything else about heaven as long as I know I have life. You see, the opposite of life is death. And what does death mean? Death means separation. <laughs> see, quickly, to be dead in sin is to not be good. And sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, sin separates us from God. That leads to a spiritual death. Death fundamentally means a separation from God. What does eternal death mean? Eternal death means an eternal separation from God, but life is the opposite of that. Life is an eternal fellowship, an eternal union with God. That's all I got to know. I, as long as I can be wherever God is, that's what heaven is. Well, a few verses. Luke 23, 43, Jesus said to the penitent thief, today you will be with me in paradise. With me, that's, that's all I want. With, just. Paul said in Philippians 1, 21 to 23, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. That's it. To be with Christ, which is far better, just to be with Him. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 and 18, So shall we ever be with the Lord. With the Lord. That's all we need. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, Paul says to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. That's life. If you want to know what life is, what is life? What is spiritual life? Spiritual life means we submit to Christ. His blood cleanses us from our sins. We're raised to walk in newness of life. We're with Christ now. What is heaven? It is eternal life. It's being with Christ forever and ever. I, that's all it is. I, that's, that's enough for me. I don't know about you, but just put me there with God. Like Jesus said in Revelation 3.21, We'll get to sit there with him at the Father's throne. Okay. Whatever else is good there, you know, the, the singing, the, the serving, the, 
Flowers never fade. Okay, that's nice. Okay, that's, that's nice. Heaven is God. To be with God. And then the beginning of hell. So this is our seventh feature. The beginning of hell. We only have time. We don't even have time. Well, we must mention a couple of things. This will just be a sample. This will just be a sample. Okay. My first hearing of the word sample was from my mom after she whipped me. And she would say, that's just a sample of what could come. I believed her with all my heart. This is just a sample. Daniel said, chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, some will go off to everlasting shame. Shame. Shame means you are personally aware of your rebellion and your guilt. And you have an eternity to think about that. Shame. Shame. To be fully aware that you could have avoided this place, but then you have an eternity to know you didn't. There will not be one moment of peace in hell. And then Daniel says, it will be a place of everlasting contempt. Contempt. That means you're being, you're being reproached by others who are in hell. Okay. They're going to be throwing reproaches at you because they're going to be angry at themselves. And when you're angry at yourselves, you're angry at everybody else. And so you're going to be receiving all sort of, sorts of contempt in hell from your fellow companions in hell. Not one moment of peace and not one moment of sympathy from anybody else. Now today, if you do evil, somebody will support you in it, won't they? I mean, you can find sympathy for any evil you want to do nowadays. But nothing of that in hell. Not one inkling of sympathy from anybody else. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 10, 28. Fear not him who, fear not those who kill the body, but fear him, God, who is able to destroy both soul and body. To destroy there means to ruin something. It means that something will now be uh, hard to look at. In fact, impossible to look at. To be destroyed and ruined, laid waste, means it's very difficult to look at that. I've, I've been able to meet a fellow through, through Terry here, and he's become a pretty good friend. He lives in Decatur. He had a bad motorcycle wreck this, this week. Okay, he's able to be home now, but a lady hit him from the back. As he was coming back from Coleman, slowed down in a school district around the Vimont area. She plowed into him in his back, threw him over the handlebars, and you ought to see his face. I went to see him yesterday. Okay. He looks really, really rough. But I could look upon him. God will destroy both soul and body. Whatever spiritual body we have, whatever soul we have, with our soul we think, feel, and choose. 
all of that thinking and feeling and choosing will be absolute torment in hell. And whatever body we have will be so full of abhorrence. It will be full of ugliness. There will be nothing attractive in hell. There will be no glamour girls there. There will be no no handsome dudes there. You will all be absolute ruin. When Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, fear him who is able to destroy, he also said in John 6, 27, don't work for food that perishes, food that ruins. That's the same wording. In other words, God's going to make us like ruined food. So no wonder in Mark 9, 48, Jesus said, this is a place where the worm dies not. It's unquenchable fire and a place where the worm dies. There are some worms that prey upon dead bodies. And hell is a place where the worm dies not. Okay, that's a sampling. We didn't even get into much of the regions of hell. That's a sampling. These features about Judgment Day, perhaps, maybe, will urge us to serve and to live as our Lord would want us. There is a great day coming. Let's all stand and sing this good song.